With the congregation, I would like you to please turn your prayerful attention to that passage of Holy Scripture that I read to you in your hearing. We read from the book of Numbers, the chapter 22, from verse 36 through to the end of the chapter 23. And with the Lord's enabling this evening, I want to take for my text these words found in the verse 19 of Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Again, Numbers twenty-three, nineteen: God is not a man, that he should lie, neither the Son of Man, that he should repent, Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Dear congregation, these are tremendously important words. I think there's no more important thing that we can know that God does not lie. He is not like man. We're reminded, aren't we, by the sweet psalmist David, how he was shapen in iniquity, conceived in sin in his mother's womb. And we are told in that psalm that from the womb that sinners go forth speaking lies. From the very womb, people are born in sin. This is why we totally reject the idea that there are sinless children and sinless infants. Everyone that comes from man, we're reminded by Job, aren't we? Can anything clean come out of that which is unclean? What comes from a woman's womb will be a child that speaks lies, growing to an adult that speaks lies. But God is not like man. We're reminded here that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Now, some have debated here, is this the Son of Man being the Son of God who would eventually become the Son of Man that he should repent? Now, there could be conjecture there. Now, that could be true that the Lord never has to repent of anything that is ever done. Sometimes that term, that word is used in terms of a a language that God uses condescendingly in the right sense to help us to understand that God changes his dealings with us when we turn. God's threats are real, are they not? And he will bring judgment upon those who do not repent. And God cannot lie and will not lie about that. He will not lie about heaven. He will not lie about hell. He will not lie about anything. And what we have in this chapter is a complete revealing of this. God cannot lie. He has sworn to bless Jacob. And Jacob really is a term used for those that were in Israel that were just like Jacob, who had the like faith of Jacob. Jacob, O worm. That's all Jacob was. He was a sinner. Saved by sovereign grace. 
Jacob, a sinner. Jacob, who would be the head of this large family of Israel, now brought out of Egypt by the power of God, even by the Lord Jesus. Even the Lord Jesus, who is in that pillar of cloud and fire by night. He was that rock, says the Apostle Paul, that followed them. He was that water which they drank. He was the one that led them. He was the angel of the Lord who made so many appearances to the people. He led them, by the way, says the psalmist, into a good land, by the right way. It was by the way of Sinai. Now, this evening, I want us to just, first of all, consider the very fact that these words, it might seem rather ironic, are uttered by a man who tried to curse the people of God, but he couldn't curse. All he could do was utter words of blessing, because God had blessed his people. And God cannot lie. God cannot rescind on a single promise that he has spoken concerning what he has done and will do and will perform. And that salvation that is in his Son. And this is a truth we must not forget this evening. As we come to this text, I'll give the context in just a moment. God cannot lie. These words, as I said in verse 19, were uttered by a man who was a sinner, who was a false prophet. But even truth was revealed to him, and he tried to go against the truth. And God put words of truth in his mouth, because God cannot lie. Balaam is the name of this man. And this is a truth we must behold tonight. And sinners, those of you who are unsaved, you must behold this. God cannot lie. And I'm going to speak about some things that might be rather uncomfortable to you tonight. But I want you to know this, God cannot lie. Whatever is coming from this book is truth. God cannot lie. You say, I don't believe in hell. Well, God cannot lie. God believes in hell. God has made hell. God has prepared hell. He has prepared heaven and hell. And he has declared that all are sinners. You say, well, that's what God says. Well, it That's what he says. And he cannot lie. Men are liars. And God has, whether you believe it or not, in his amazing love, in his grace, in his mercy, he has prepared a heaven for those who love him and those who repent of their sins and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Of course, that's the work of God. And he has promised to give eternal life to them who look to him, because Titus 1, 2, we read from there, in hope of eternal life, says the Apostle Paul, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Who did God promise it to before the world began? You say, well, there was nobody. Well, there was. There was God the Son. There was God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God promised his Son, and God cannot lie to his Son. And the Son cannot lie to the Father that he would perform what the Father had commissioned him to do, and that is to lay down his life for sinners. And the Spirit has given the Word, and the Word is what we have here this evening. And friends, the Word became flesh and dwelt among men, 
And men could say we beheld his glory. I want to speak this evening about these things, because right in the Old Testament, you know, many say today, well, the Old Testament has so no significance to the church today. Well, it has great significance, because even in this passage we see of the things concerning the gospel of our Lord Jesus, the promise of his coming into this world, how hundreds, yea, millennia before he would come into the world, it was all prophesied about him. Balaam will speak of his star. He will speak of his scepter. He will speak of the one who will have a mighty kingdom, as we will see. And God cannot lie. He will not lie. This man is trying to curse the people of God. Now bear in your minds, I with me. The people are marching on. They're marching on. It'll be a long journey now because they have sinned. And God has said if they sinned, that there will be great trouble. And they're now in the wilderness for some 40 years. And, uh, well, trouble is coming. The children of Israel, being led by the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, Moses with them, feeding them manna every day. And we notice now in chapter 22, if you turn there, look at chapter 22, right at the beginning, what happens is the children of Israel, they're making their way. They're in the plains now of Moab. And the Moabites, particularly here King Balak, king of the Moabites, is exceedingly nervous because he is hurt of the devastation, of the destruction of all of those that stood in the path of Israel. And of course, the Lord leading them by that pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, parted the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptians. And how God is feeding them manna every day. And here Balak is very nervous. What's going to happen? What can Balak King of Moab, do about it. He's thinking of a plan. And uh, what is that plan? Well, if he can curse the people of Israel, surely, by God, he will stop it all. Now, what we know from, as we read in this chapter, indeed, chapter 23, three times. So we read of two occasions here, and there's a third occasion where Balaam, instructed by Balak, goes to curse the people of God, but he cannot. But I want to take you back just to Numbers 22, 1. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. And you see, you can see he's exceedingly nervous. We're going to perish, just like the Amorites. Verse 5, and so what does he do? He sends messengers, 
some 400 miles away to the east, to ancient Mesopotamia, to visit a man called Balaam, a very well-known, famous so-called prophet, one who many believed could cast a spell or a curse upon a people. Verse 5, And he sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beal, of, to Pethel, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. So they go a long way, as I said, some 400 miles away, to seek this soothsayer, this conjurer. He's for hire, for money. And uh, for filthy lucre, when he, he, at first he seems hard to get, and he seems to delay it coming. And certainly this is what Balaam thinks. He's playing hard to get. You notice this chapter 12, 22, verse 12, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. God speaks to this false prophet, who wasn't a worshipper of the true and the living God, he was in the land of darkness, a pagan, an almighty God speaks to him. And yet, this man is so hard set in his ways. And you notice verse 12, thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. But this man is a fool, and he is like so many who hear the truth. You can even hear the living God speak through his word. By his spirit, they hear the word. And in that sense, as Stephen said to those of old, you always resist the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the author of the word. Now, God's grace is irresistible in the heart, and it works in the heart. But friends, let me say, a man can resist the Spirit of God by the Word. In that sense, he's resisting the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit-given Word. But when the Spirit of God works in the heart, it's a completely different thing. That is what we call irresistible grace. And here this man in chapter 22, verse 12, he hears God speak and says, you shall not go up. But what does this man do? He's determined in his mind to go up. And he does go up. Why? Because he loves the wages of unrighteousness. That's what Peter says about him. Second Peter 2.14. It says there of Balaam. You can read about Balaam in many occasions in the New Testament. It says he loved the wages of unrighteousness. That is, he, he loved this world. He loved the goods of this world. And it's amazing what some men will do to sell their souls. They can even read the word of God and know it to be true. He knew right well he shouldn't go. But he went for the money. And many people do things for money. That's why the Lord Jesus said, What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This man, although he heard God, God spoke to him through his word. 
This voice. It's unusual, imagine. You see, you can even stand before the Lord Jesus and see God incarnate and accept you be converted, accept you be born again. You'll not follow him. It's a solemn thing, isn't it? You can, you can hear the word of God tonight, friend. Balaam even says, let me die the death of the righteous. But he was a man of the world. And he serves as a warning to the unsaved soul. He was religious. Sacrifices, altars. And there are people that are religious. But they don't know God. They're living for this world. They're living, as Peter says, for the lucre of this world. Peter says he loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass, as we will see in a moment, speaking with a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. God even got his donkey, his ass, to speak to him, because he wasn't listening. The ass saw an angel, the angel of the Lord, standing in the road. And he was cruel to his animal. He kept pushing it forward. Let's go forward. And we'll read the account. Look at verse 20. Notice God speaks to him at night. Numbers twenty-two, twenty, And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. He's determined in his mind to go. Now I want you to stop and think for a moment. The Lord says to him, don't curse them. He says in verse 12, thou shalt not go with them. But the man, he goes to sleep and he's still determined in his mind. And eventually the Lord says, go with them now, but you only say what I say. My friends, when the Lord says something to you once, listen. Because he might just give you your heart's desire. And it'll be death. It'll be ruin. When a man is determined to go his own way, sometimes the Lord gives it. And it's all, of course, in the providence of God. And what we see here, look at verse 20. God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to thee to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Now he is already testing, trying the Lord. The Lord has said, don't go, but now he's determined to go. He saddles his house. The Lord says to him, okay, you go, but you only say what I've said now. So we told here, Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass, went with the princes of Moab. And you notice now, from verse 22 to verse 23 and following, that he meets with the angel of the Lord, as I said earlier. And the angel of the Lord here really is preventing him and the donkey and the ass from going any further. This false prophet, in his mad career in sin, Seeking after filthy lucre, as we're reminded by Peter. We notice, and God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. 
Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. The ass was trying to, as it were, as an animal, tell him something's wrong. There's an obstacle in the way. He wouldn't hear. And eventually the Lord gets the ass to speak. Falls down. Verse 13, And the ass said unto him, to Balaam, Am I am not I thine ass? Because he threatens to kill the ass. You read in those narrative verses there. He threatens to slay the ass. And he won't listen. Am I not thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? In other words, do I mean any harm to you? Now imagine if a, an animal spoke to you, but this is by God. And even this will not stop this mad man in his sin. And the Lord opened the eyes. Was I ever want so to do unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and the sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And by this time he should have known. This spelt trouble. But he, he pursues on, and he eventually meets up with the princes of Balak, this king of Moab. And uh, first of all, on the first occasion, three times, as I said, he builds an altar. And on each occasion, there are seven altars erected and a book and a ram there on each occasion. And he goes to curse the people of God, but he can't. And the whole plan doesn't work. And eventually something does work. He tempted the men of Israel to sin by sending women to entice with the flesh. And they committed whoredoms at Baalpuyah. It was an awful thing. But what we glean from this account here are some very instructive things. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 8 of Numbers 23, Balaam, after this first time, he goes to curse the children of Israel, Jacob. He comes back to Balak and he says, How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him. And this is prophetic language. Looking ahead in time to the Savior to come. And from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. They'll be on their own. They'll be, be a very separate and a different people. They are to be a peculiar people. And then we read these words, who can count the dust of Jacob? This is not referring really to the nation Israel, but to the vast spiritual Israel who are of Jacob, believing Jacob, children of the household of faith. Remember, we have it in Romans chapter 9, Jacob and Esau. The two are different from the same father. But one is spiritual, one is carnal. One is saved, one is lost. One's a child of God, one's a man of the world. That's the difference. 
a true son of Abraham, a true son of faith, somebody who is born again, somebody who lives by faith, somebody who believes in the promises of God, somebody, Jacob, Jacob loved the promises. Jacob believed in the promises. Jacob believed in a God that cannot lie. That's our text for this evening. God swore to Abraham by himself. Didn't swear by Abraham. God that cannot lie. Man is a liar. The covenants made man with God always fail. But when God makes a covenant with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it will be affected. You see, Balaam could not curse Jacob. Neither even Israel, because God would bless Israel now until the great king, Jesus Christ, comes into the world. This is why Israel is blessed up until that point, until the Messiah comes. In fact, the very last word of the Old Testament is the word curse. And Israel, because they did not obey God, knew the curses of God. But those of spiritual Israel know that God cannot lie. And God has promised great, exceedingly promises because of the riches of his grace, my friends. And because his son will not fail. God's son will not fail. He was promised before the world began. Now, I want you to notice, blessed from all eternity, verse 11. And you notice how King Balak became enraged. First of all, I want you to notice how in verse 10, Balaam says, Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. He, he could see something glorious was going to become of those whom God has blessed and that he cannot curse. And yet his heart was still in the world. You see, the problem is the human heart, isn't it? You can see things, my friend. Even believe things. But not have a heart. Only God can change the heart. You pray, God, change my heart. Now, verse 11, And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? He's angered now, because all he's brought are words of blessing. I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? He knew the truth, because you know what? This man knew. This man knew what was incumbent upon anybody who had been given the word of God. Do you know what God promised to do to those who were given his word and did not give it. It was death. And those who would say they are prophets and speak not the truth, if they were in Israel, they were to be stoned to death. Well, the wrath of Balak builds up here. And the wickedness of Balaam just 
carries on. These men are not confounded by this. Well, let's, let's do another seance, as it were. Let's have another time of cursing. Let's build another altar. And that's what they do. And that, my friend, is the sinner in his sin, so determined to get his way. Will not hear. Is this enough? How many people come under the ministry of God's word? No change. You've heard the truth. You know it. It resonates in the mind. But no change. But God cannot lie. He has blessed, sworn to bless. He will bless. And he goes to curse again. And we know what happens. Verse 13, And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place. As if the place is going to change anything. Some people think that. I'll go to another church. Maybe the message will change. Maybe the preacher will be kind and speak sweet words to me. Well, he might do, but he might be a false preacher. Well, here they go to another place. And it is the place called Pisgah, a very famous place. In Deuteronomy 34, it is that place where Moses went up from the plains of Moab and he saw uh, he went up onto the Mount Nebo, if you just turn there, Deuteronomy 34.1, and Moses went up from the plains of Moab onto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah. This is the place. Remember, he died on Mount Nebo, over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, unto Dan and Naphtali, and all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and so on, and the land of Judah, unto the utmost sea. He could, as it were, see the vast land. Maybe he's thinking, if I can just see the place now where God will bless. And if I can pronounce a curse here, God will curse these people. Satan tried to do that. Didn't he take the Lord up to that pinnacle? Didn't he show him, it says, all the world? In some mysterious way, he was able to do that. He says, if you bow down and worship to me, I'll give you all of this. You cast yourself down. God will give you the charge of the angels over you. It is written, my friends. It is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. How many people tempt God when God has spoken and they do not do? Well, look. He takes him up here. It's the same thing again. And he goes to curse, but he can only bless. We read these words. Balak is waiting there with bated breath. Balaam's going to say, verse 17, When he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him, and Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear, hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. And here is our verse, God is not man, that he should lie. 
neither the Son of Man that he should repent? Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed. I cannot reverse it. My friends, God has decreed things in this world. They cannot be reversed. What God has decreed will surely come to pass. What God has decreed is his good pleasure. And he has said in his word, I will do all my pleasure. Now you notice a striking verse, verse 21. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. This is a striking verse, isn't it? Jacob, of course, we know, was the deceiver, the supplanter. But Jacob is a type of all of God's people, sinners by nature. But Jacob was a man of faith. Jacob, as it were, saw that ladder, which was Christ, we're told by the Lord Jesus. That ladder that ascends up into heaven. Christ, we we know, is that ladder. That joining between heaven and earth. You remember at Bethel, Jacob dreamed that night. And we're told in John's Gospel of that ladder. Of angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You see, God only deals with sinners through Christ. And that's how Jacob was blessed, through Christ. Jacob believed in the Son of God to come into this world, that he would step into time, space, and history, and that he would be that bridge between sinners like him and a holy God. This is tremendous. At the end of John's Gospel, we have it. You notice, you turn with me, maybe you've never seen it. With your own eyes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we know these things speak of Christ. And here. The Lord Jesus comes to Nathanael. And he speaks with him and he says to Nathanael. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And saith to him behold an Israelite indeed. In other words, a true son of Jacob, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. I knew thee. Why? Because he is omniscient. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. Believest thou? And then notice this, Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And that is a figure that Christ is that ladder. The only bridge between a sinful world and a holy heaven and a holy God. 
And you see what he says here in verse 21. This same Lord Jesus would come and would be the propitiation for his people's sins, that he would come and he would live and he would die as the last Adam. And this is how even this prophet here, given the words by God, put in his mouth, could say, he, that is God, has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Now, of course, right now there's no sin. That could be true. But you could trace sin back to Jacob a long while, couldn't you? Right now they haven't sinned. There's no reason to curse them. But it could be also said that really God, when he views his people, Christ is styled as the Lamb of God slain even from before the foundation of the world. That is how God could justify Abraham by faith. Because the Lord Jesus said, he saw my day and was glad. He believed in the Messiah to come. And we are told that Abraham was justified by faith. God reckoned it unto him for righteousness. A sinner saved by grace. And you see, it is in this that God sees no sin in his people. And my sinner friend, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. He has promised to give his son, even from before the foundation of the world, that he should be the substitute of his people. Jacob, a sinner. Like you. And like me. But Jacob saved. Jacob trusting in a God that cannot lie. And it says, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. That's even at this moment in time. They've not done anything wrong yet. But in Jacob, there's no iniquity. Right now in Israel, there's no perverseness. Yes, in the next few chapters, and God will judge the people of Israel for their sin of whoredoms with the Moabite woman. And then we read, the Lord, his God, is with him. The shout of a king is amongst them. Now, of course, they would have a king, David. But David's greatest son, Jesus Christ, has been among them, leading them by that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night. A shout of a king, a king going in victory, bringing them into the promised land despite their sin, chastening them. And that is true for every child of God. Every child of God will be chastened because God loves them and they receive the chastening of the Lord as a son. Those that don't receive chastening of the Lord are not God's people. They're not God's people. The world wants to live on its own. Balaam He even heard the word of God. He uttered words of praise. And you see, again, it's a word of blessing. Verse 19, God is not man that he should lie. And friends, I want to close with some thoughts tonight. I've told you of Christ. I've told you why he came. To suffer for worms like Jacob. 
for sinners, even like Moses. Although Moses never entered into the promised land, we see him there on that mount with Elijah. Do we not? Moses, speaking with the Lord. He didn't enter the promised land, but he's entered glory. Moses. Why? Because God cannot lie. God promised eternal life to those who believe in him. Those who repent of their sin. Some will hear. Some will even be like Balaam. Say, oh, if I could live as a Christian. They say it, but it's not in their heart. And friends, let me say, there are some things that God cannot do. We read here, God is not a man that he should lie. The things that God can't do, you can actually go through all of the Ten Commandments. Just think of some of them that God cannot do. God cannot even murder. You say, how do you figure that one out? Because he's the giver of life. And he's the taker of life. And when he takes life, it's not murder. Because he gives life, he sustains life. And when he takes a life, it's justice. It's not murder. God cannot sin. God cannot commit adultery. Of course, he has a bride. His church. His people. And the wonderful thing is you go through even all of those Ten Commandments, you know God can't break them. God cannot commit adultery. God cannot be unfaithful to his spouse. And he will not be. God cannot take his name in vain. It would violate his own honor. God never takes his name in vain, neither should we. But the many who do, God cannot bear false witness. Remember what the Lord Jesus he said, if I do not do the truth, I do not bear true testimony. He cannot bear false witness. He cannot lie. What can he not lie about? He can't lie about anything that he said in this word. He cannot lie about heaven. We might think heaven is too wonderful to believe. Well, it is. It's beyond our comprehension. It's more glorious than we can ever conceive or think. God God cannot lie about his grace. He speaks of the riches of his grace. I mean, we haven't even begun as Christians, those of us who are, to discover the depths of the wisdom and the riches of the glory of God's grace that is in Christ Jesus. We only know an ounce of it. And how little have we made effort and progress to know of that grace. You get the more grace we find, we'll never plummet it. His mercy is unto the heavens, we are told. God cannot lie about heaven. God never lied about his son. He promised him to Adam and Eve. And he's been all in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, you don't have to look far to see him 
He's there in the types and the shadows. He comes as the angel of the Lord. Time and time again, he speaks in his word. He's, he's in all the Psalms. The Psalms are messianic. They speak of his sufferings. And they speak of his love to his people. And God cannot lie. Every experience of the psalmist is true. Because it's not only lived out, but it is God's preserved word for us. The promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And they will never fail. My unbelieving friend, you have the best book in all the world that has stood the test of time. Men have ransacked this book and tried to find fault in God, but he cannot lie. He has promised, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. God cannot lie. You say, will he judge sin? He will judge sin. Because he has said it. Hell is real. The Lord Jesus speaks of that place where their worm never dies, and the smoke of their torments ascend up forever and forever. Hell is real. God cannot lie. You say, I don't believe in hell. Well, God can't lie. Can God forgive sins? Yes. The scriptures say, those who trust in the Lord and who love him and repent of their sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive them of all of their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. You say, well, what if... I become a Christian. What if I fail? Well, the word says he will not fail. He that's begun a good work in you will see it to completion. He can't lie. The problem is men are liars. When they say they've repented, they haven't really repented. When somebody says, I was a Christian, you know they're a liar. When they say, I've tried to deal with this sin, but I just can't do it, and God has failed me. Well, they're a liar. They've never really appealed to God. They've never really sought God. Micah 7.19 says, He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou will perform the truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham. God can't lie. He can't lie about heaven. He can't lie about hell. And that's where all go. We do not love him. He can't lie. It's a sober thought, isn't it? Do you believe? Paul said, when he was on that ship, on his way to Rome, and he knew he was going to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. And there were well over 300 men aboard that ship. And the winds and the waves were howling. And that ship was being tossed. And they couldn't see land. And it was complete pitch black darkness for days. And they couldn't navigate their way. And men were even throwing the skiff overboard and all the, the cargo of the vessel. And the Lord came to him 
and said, Paul, all will be safe. All will arrive. Paul said, I believe God. He stood up in the midst of that howling wind on that night. He said, I believe God that it shall be so, even as it was told me. And that man once was a persecutor of Christ, and yet a man saved by grace. And when you're saved by grace, friends, you're prepared to do what the Lord says. And you'll go where he wants you to go. And you'll bow to him. And you'll honor him. Look at this man, Balaam. What a miserable life he must have led even after this. Gone back to his home, hundreds of miles away. Words of God filled his mouth. He even cried, oh, let me die the death of the righteous. And let my end be as their end. But he was, as James says, a double-minded man. Are you double-minded or single-minded? Well, if you're saved, you're single-minded. May God make hearts for him tonight, we pray, that we may render to him what is his due. That's our love. And may we hinder his glory. And his heaven to those who he has promised he will give to all them that love him and love his son. Let us love him not just with word, but with deeds. Let us love his church. Let us love his people. You can't love God and not love his church, not love his people. That's the proof, John says, that you have love. We know that we have passed from death to life if we love the brethren. Let us love God's people. Love him for all that he's done for us. Amen. Amen.